Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very good evening to you just after 6 o'clock on VOC 91.3. I'm Khawa Solomon and welcome to our questions and answers where we uh, take your questions, alhamdulillah, on 47913 and the resident imam of the Sufiya Masjid answers it. So let's welcome Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And how are you doing today, uh, Sister? Very well, alhamdulillah. A beautiful Saturday it is. We've always been uh, blessed with the rahmah of the Almighty, alhamdulillah. So uh, hope everybody is safe wherever they are. Remember to put on your lights if you're driving. And we are highly portable, so take us wherever you go. Shukran, Sheikh. Let's get into the questions because we have loads more. And once again, we reiterate um, to all the listeners who have been patient in us answering their questions. Salam, Sheikh. Why do we recite Duhar and Asr softly and the rest of the waqts aloud? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-mursaleen. Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Uh, the question of reciting certain uh, salahs aloud and certain salahs softly. Uh, first of all, what we must understand is that salah is uh, an ibadah, it's a form of worship, and uh, we do it as it was prescribed to us by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the way that he was. Uh, taught how to make salah by Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam coming directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So basically all acts of ibadah are things that uh, very often we may not always understand the hikmah or the wisdom why it is done in a particular way because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he says with regards to salah sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli make salah the way that you see me make salah. So there's many issues of ibadah which is uh, sometimes not easily understood but it's an act of devotion. It's an act of submission to Allah Ta'ala. Uh, nonetheless, there are some scholars that obviously probed and tried to understand what could possibly be. And here we say possibly because we don't say it is like this, but they probed what could possibly be the reason why we recite softly uh, during certain salahs and, and, and loudly during certain salahs. And... Uh, one of the answers that I have come across, which is uh, which makes uh, a lot of sense to me, is that they say that the the waqt of Dhuhr and Asr, for example, are, are times where people are very busy during the day. So there's a lot of sounds and lots of noises mm. around you and stuff like that. So it's not very conducive for you, really, to speak to Allah Ta'ala in a loud voice because there's so many other distractions around you. People are talking, there's maybe sounds of cars, there's sounds of so many things around you. So it is probably more uh, suitable just to do it softly so that you alone can hear hear what you are saying. Hmm. However, in the evening, for Salah of Maghrib, Salah of Isha and Salah of Fajr, we find that during these awkward people are more settled, there's not so much noise, uh, people are not working, there's not so busy. So you'll find that it is much more conducive for you actually to call out to Allah Ta'ala during these times. Okay, because these are times where that's why for tahajjud, for example, early in the morning, those are beautiful moments where you can call out, out to Allah Ta'ala in serenity, tranquility, there's no disturbances, etc., etc. And that would appear to be one of the, the hikmah and the wisdom why there is a certain salah soft and certain salah allowed. But having said that, the point that I made first was it is an act of devotion and ibadah, and we do it the way that it was prescribed to us by the Prophet. Nothing stops us from looking into it in terms of wisdom like we did now, uh, but we still comply. Uh, even if we don't always understand exactly what the wisdom is, we try to the best of our ability to comply with the commandments of Allah uh, as far as all the ibadat are concerned. Um, and, and inshallah, that is a good way in which we show our willingness to submit to what Allah wants us to do. 
But inshallah, Allah will give us the knowledge also uh, to understand the hikmah. Once we have submitted and once we actually carry out the duty, we will see that Allah will open our minds to understand the beauty and the hikmah and the wisdom in each and everything which Allah Ta'ala has made obligatory upon us. Shukran, Sheikh. Salam, I'm 13 years old and I became a young lady at the age of 9. I, I get my hayd for 15 days and it then carries on to istihada. I am now fasting with istihada and not making salah. Can Sheikh please explain, Kanala? Yeah, these are again. Uh, this is again one of those questions that most probably the person would have liked to have the answer in the month of Ramadan. Yes. As unfortunately, because of the backlog, we we could not get out to this question. But nonetheless, the knowledge will still be obviously beneficial for for future purposes. Uh, and in this case, it seems that this uh, this girl gets uh, her menstruation for a full fifteen days, mm-hmm. and the fifteen day window period is the maximum period for hayd. Mm-hmm. There is no hayd beyond fifteen days. So what she should do is she should obviously stay away from salah and fasting and all of that up until that period of 15 days is over once that 15 days is over she will now consider herself to be clean even though she may still be spotting she may still be actually seeing some menstruation uh, she will continue to do normal she will take a ghusl for example she will begin to fast she will begin to to make salah she will she can recite quran she can do all of those things and uh, what is important to note here is that that clean period after that 15 days a minimal of 15 days as well must be observed of a clean spell before you can expect yourself again to go into a mode of of menstruation uh, so for a 15 complete days she will consider herself to be clean in which case she will make salah, she will give, uh, she will fast, she can recite Quran, sunnah salah, she can do whatever anybody else uh, does. The only other advice that I can add to this is that she must make sure that she takes wudu after each waqt, when the waqt is actually in. So she doesn't take wudu before the adhan of dhuhr, for example. Mm. But she waits till the waqt is in, and since she is still experiencing some, some uh, flow of blood, then what she can do is she can clean herself up the best that she can, uh, uh, you know, uh, clean herself up to the best of her ability and then take wudu and then immediately make the salah, mm-hmm. not delayed in any way, because this will be a requirement for each and every salah that she performs, or the fart salah that is. Mm-hmm. Sunnah salah is no problem. She can add sunnah salah uh, with the same wudu, no problem. But the fart salah, each time she will wait until the adhan goes off. Once the adhan is gone off, she will then take wudu and immediately perform a salah. So just to repeat uh, the, the ruling here, the 15 days which she experiences her hayd, that will be hayd. She will not salah, she will not fast, she will not do all those things. But then once the 15 days is done, she will take a ghusl and then she will consider herself to be clean for, a, for the next 15 days. Because the minimal clean period between two hayds is always 15 days. Nothing less than that. Okay, So for the entire 15 days, she will consider herself to be clean, although she may still be spotting blood, etc. Uh, she will just take precaution for each waqt to clean herself up the best that she can and take wudu for each waqt. And that should be uh, acceptable, inshallah. I think uh, it's, it's very confusing, especially for the for those newly that's, that's just gotten their head and also the young ladies. The, the question is, and they often judge because I'm not really clean because there's still that blood yes. flow. And like Sheikh has explained, that, you know, try and clean and stinger and maybe replace the sanitary towel as you know as best as you can and then take your wudu immediately not go, thinking that oh you, you might have spotted again and go to the toilet but just after that wudu immediately perform your salah because there is that confusion oh no I might be spotting again let me go back mm. you know Absolutely. so just to stop 
and do what you can and then make your salah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we get a condition also where, where some people, for example, have uh, urine drip where they cannot really you know, get rid of the urine. I mean, it, okay. it drips all the time, all the time. No matter how hard they try to, to sort of istinja and clean themselves up and stuff like that, they may be dripping all the time, all the mm. time, all the time. So what such a person needs to do is the same. They, they basically, once the wakt is in, they clean themselves up the best that they can they can put some tissue paper there toilet paper there just to make sure it doesn't go onto their clothing too much they then take wudu and they immediately make salah even if they now feel that they are still dripping yes. that takes place afterwards no problem because that is a, a, a rare condition mm. in which there is no other way but just to, to do the best that one can and uh, for 15 days this is the point I want to make here is for that entire 15 days she will consider herself clean even if she is spotting mm. even if she experiences menstrual blood she will still be uh, able to make Salah and, and fast and all those things for the for entire 15 days until the next 15 days set in where she will again consider herself to be in a state of height. Inshallah. Shukran, Shukran, Sheikh. Let's uh, continue with the show after the short break. Stay with us. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Salaman and there's questions and answers with me is Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. We've got lots of questions, so let's get into it. Assalamu alaikum. I am very sad, Sheikh. How does a person fast when your husband don't even talk to you? He just is around and don't even greet when he leaves. I think she says just in and out, like he comes in, in and, and he goes, and he yeah. doesn't, he ignores, uh, he ignores her. Okay. Uh, obviously, this is wrong. I mean, whether during fasting or after fasting, mm. uh, it's wrong. I mean, you shouldn't ignore each other. Um, that is not. I mean, you got married not to ignore each other. You mm. got married actually to talk to each other and to have a beautiful life together. Mm. So this is wrong, no matter what the circumstances so, is. Yes. But uh, uh, I would say specifically when it comes to the month of Ramadan, you should be even more softer. I mean, your heart should be more softened up. You know, uh, because you are. Very close to Allah supposedly You are doing ibadah So you should be more in a state of uh, Wanting to reconcile If there was problems If there was difficulty And stuff like that Advice I can give to this woman Is that try finding out by him uh, You know what the problem is I mean maybe You know sit down with him And, and tell him Look I'm not very comfortable With the way that you Are handling yourself I mean you're forever in and out You don't tell me You don't greet Nothing, not, nothing like that And it's, it's very awkward You know uh, And when you do this Try always to do it in a way that is kind, you know, never try to provoke even further or be rude or be abrupt or anything like that. I mean, this is my advice I give to many Christians as you as you can vouch for. I mean, kindness and, 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 and compassion and rahmah is what we require, I mean, to show to each other because uh, ultimately we also uh, want to be the recipients of that, of that kindness and compassion but we cannot uh, expect to receive it if we don't want to give any, right? And in this case, the, the, the woman should the, the wife should try to uh, as, as best as possible speak to the husband and say to him that look, uh, um, we have to ki- find some kind of solution I, I want to know why you are behaving like this why is it that uh, you are forever you know, neglecting me or ignoring me is there maybe something that is uh, bothering you that I'm doing or, or stuff like that and I do believe with dialogue, with beautiful discussion like this, if they are both adults and they have uh, intellects, you know, that uh, they will be able to open up and at least speak to each other and come to the bottom of what the problem is. And like I said, this should be done throughout, uh, throughout uh, their, their married life. It's not only in Ramadan that you should worry about these things, but it should be all the time that we should try to communicate with each other the best that we can and try to uh, find solutions and, and resolutions in an amicable way the best uh, in the best possible. 
possible fashion. Shukran, Sheikh. Salam, can I touch a mayat when I have my haid? Um, it was my brother that had passed on in this case. Wassalam. Yeah, there is no objection at all for a person, a woman who is in a state of haid, to come in the room where the mayat is. And I think this is some of the part of the superstitions that we have, or of our bayhalwafis, you know, that we have that you, a woman who is in haid should not come near to the mayat, she should not touch the mayat, and all those things. There is no laws, as, as far as I know, that, that, that restricts hmm. a woman to come close to the mayat if she is in a state of haid. Especially if it's a close one like this, it's her own brother, her own son, for example, mm. her husband. There's nothing wrong for her to come in the room and to mm. actually sit there and to recite Quran, to make dua, and to even touch and to, to kiss if it was the brother and so on, to, to kiss the, the if it is of the mahram relationships. No problem at all to do all of that. There is nothing that stops her, whether she has hayd or whether she does not have hayd. Because ultimately, that condition which she is in is a condition which Allah has given her. It's not something that she decided to have. Hmm. It's something which is uh, natural. Allah created her like that. And in fact, uh, we find that in the time of ignorance before Islam, the time of Jahiliyyah, we find that those people used to treat their wives that had hayd in a way that they used to sort of be very... Um, you know, unclean. Yeah, they should consider them to be very unclean and very impure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that in the time of Jahiliyyah, if a woman had hayd, they would never be in the same room with her. They would never sit and eat with her. Mm-hmm. Right? They would tell her to sit in the next room, etc. But these are things which Islam came to abolish, in fact. Islam came to say, no, but this is not uh, what it's about because the hayd that she has, it does not affect her being. It is just a physical condition which her body needs to deal with, but it's got nothing to do with her as a person. Okay, and the only restriction, and in fact, because of these attitudes of the people of Jahiliyyah, uh, they came to ask the Prophet ﷺ once they embraced Islam, what is the status of a woman that is in Hayd? And Allah Taala revealed the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter two, verse two twenty-two, where Allah Taala says, "وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ كُلْ هُوَ أَذَنْ فَعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيضِ." They ask you about menstruation, O Muhammad ﷺ. Say to them that it is a harmful condition in terms of the intimacy between husband and wife. And that is the only thing that must be obviously taken care of. A husband and wife is not allowed to be intimate and to actually have uh, sexual intercourse while there is menstruation because that will be harmful for both of them. Okay, But other than that, there is nothing else that is prohibited. You can sit next to your wife, you can kiss her, you can hug her, you can eat with her in the same plate. Yeah, there's no problem at all. Uh, Islam came to abolish all these kinds of things to say that uh, you know there's something wrong. And in fact, this very question, I came across something which was interesting uh, when I looked for, for the answer for this question, just looking at certain things. Um, there was a, a, a book, there's a book that is called Al-Fatawa Al-Hadithiyyah, which is written by one of our great scholars in Islam. His name is Ibn Hajar Al-Haytami, who used to be a 10th uh, century scholar in Makkah. He was the Mufti in Makkah and one of the great, great giants in the Shafi'i Madhab. And uh, he writes in his book that there was an occasion where one of the great hadith scholars by the name of Yahya ibn Ma'in, he was sitting in a company, a group of people uh, uh, with some other scholars, and a woman came to ask this very same question. She came to ask uh, this particular imam, say, if, if, if my husband dies, you know, or what am I allowed to do and what am I not allowed to do? Mm. You know, can I go close? Can I even wash him? This was his uh, question. And all of them didn't want to venture to give an answer because they were a bit, uh, you know, uh, cautious in giving an answer. But he relates in this book of his that at that moment there was another scholar that approached and his name was Abu Thur. And he was a great mind, you know, he had a great mind in Islamic law and stuff like that. Mm. Um, 
And so when they posed the question to him, he said, of course, you can you can do anything. You can go close to the mayyid. There's no restrictions for you. And his uh, basis for it was, or his proof for it was, he says there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ asked Sayyidah Aisha one time that uh, she must give on something. Oh. And he was in the masjid and she was obviously in the room next to the masjid. So she, she was asked to give on something. And then she said to the Prophet ﷺ, oh, Prophet of Allah, I'm in a state of hayd. So the Prophet ﷺ answered her by saying, Ya Aisha, inna hayyidaki laysa fi yadiki. Oh, Aisha, your, your hayd is not in your hand. Otherwise, you're not going to contaminate anything. You can still pass me on whatever I want. Your hayd is not in your hand. Meaning, it is not a physical sort of impurity that is mm. on your person, on the outside of your person. But rather, it is a condition which Allah has given you. So he says, based on this, this shows that, and, and he, he, he cites another, another dalil to say that Sayyidah Aisha, then subsequent to this, she used to brush the hair and comb the hair of the Prophet ﷺ, even while she was in a state of hayd. Mm. Which means the Prophet allowed her to do that. Even while she was in a state of hayd, uh, to abolish this idea that the woman is totally impure, she shouldn't, she shouldn't come near to you, shouldn't come near to the mayyit and all this. These are all things that are all uh, you know, untrue, superstitions and untrue. Uh, and in, in fact, his conclusion was, he says then, if this is the case for a person who's alive, if you are uh, able to brush his hair if he's alive, what's the if he's dead, you know? There should be even more reason for you to do that. I mean, there mm. shouldn't be any restriction or any problem for you to do mm. that if you are allowed to do it while he is alive. So there is no issue at all for you to come and kiss your brother if you are in a state of menstruation, to come in the room and to sit next to the maid. That will not affect the deceased in any way. It will not mm. affect anything. Uh, there's no problem uh, as far as uh, this is concerned. If you think of it, Sheikh, I'm just listening to the answer. You could relate it as being sarcastic, but it's actually true what the Prophet saying. Khayr is not in your hands, but he's not being sarcastic, he's being true. He's giving her information truth, that is yeah. vital, that yeah. she needs to understand that it's not a matter of, you know, you physically being mm. impure. Yeah. It's just a condition that Allah has given you, Alhamdulillah. which you need to deal with. And Allah knows best what, you know, it is for your own well-being that Allah mm. has as, as sort of created you in that way uh, from that uh, sort of physical aspect it is for your own well-being and your own health uh, uh, perspective that that needs to happen and in fact a person that doesn't have menstruation a woman she's considered an, a sick woman I mean if she's not of old age mm. she's a young woman and she doesn't menstruate then doctors would consider her to be sick because that okay. means she's not ovulating there's yeah. many other things that is perhaps uh, wrong in her body so alhamdulillah that is what the Prophet ﷺ advised her and indeed uh, valuable advice it was inshallah may that answer eradicate all of the wives tales that is probably out there when it comes to women that has hate let's take a short break and continue with questions and answers after this the voice of the cape pioneering 20 years in muslim radio my radio station your radio station our radio station Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. This is VOC FM on 91.3. I'm Khawa Salomon. Let's continue with your questions on 47913. Salam, uh, Sheikh and Khawa, please explain Babu Salah. Yeah, this question, of course, uh, I'm not too sure how to address it. Uh, because you say explain Babu Salah, it would mean explain all the rules and regulations of Salah. <laughs> of course, we cannot do that on this uh, very short and limited uh, space of time. Uh, but what I do uh, advise this question is as a starting point to at least consult with the book of Sheikh Amin Fakir, a book that is called uh, Risalatul Mufida, 
it is just known as Al-Mufida. It's a very, very mm-hmm. useful book. Uh, get yourself a copy of this book and at least read up uh, on some of the rulings pertaining to Salah and what you can do, what you cannot do, what nullifies the Salah. Get some general information about it. And then obviously also try to enroll at some class, you know, at one of the masjids or in your area. I'm sure there is somebody that is able to teach you. We obviously cannot elaborate on the whole Babu Salah. There's many, many issues that needs to be discussed. Uh, but if there was perhaps something specific that you wanted to ask mm. about Salah, you are free to send another question to ask uh, to give that particular question. Inshallah. Inshallah. But Babu Salah be meaning the rules of Salah. Yeah, Babu Salah literally means the chapter on Salah. Okay. Please explain the chapter on Salah. Salah. So obviously okay. we cannot do that in the short uh, space of time. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalam, Sheikh. When I ask my husband if I can go somewhere with my family or friends, he will always answer with the words, whatever. Is it right? He can never say yes or no. What should I do? Shukran. Like I said earlier, I think good communication is, is key to all of these kinds of issues. Uh, by good communication, I mean there should be dialogue between husband and wife. Uh, and, and I hope this question that you are posing to us is something that you asked him already. I mean, why is it that you are giving this answer? So, uh, mm-hmm. Or are you just, when he says those kinds of answers, you just ignore him and go anyway? Mm-hmm. Right? Or is it when, you, uh, when he says that, you just laugh it off or whatever? Mm-hmm. So, so there should be uh, uh, good communication between you and your husband, you should sit with him and respectfully tell him that, look, um, is there an issue for me going out with my family, with my friends? Uh, and, and I'm sure there's maybe some examples, some, some, some details which we, we, which we don't know. Uh, Allah Alam, Allah knows best. Is it perhaps that you go out too much with family and friends? Maybe he feels it's too much. You should be spending more time with the kids or more time at home. Uh, is that maybe the case? Or secondly, is it maybe that when he says to you, um, uh, whatever, does it mean that you just ignore him and you just go anyway? Or you actually probe and ask, does he mean yes or no? Or do you just take it for granted? Mm. I mean, these are all things that, that needs to be addressed. And if it is that he even has certain preferences, I mean, he may say, look, I don't want you to go with a certain family member. Because of X, Y. He may have good reasons. Mm. He may not have good reasons. Allah Alam. He may have unwarranted reasons as well. But all of that can only be made clear once you obviously sit down with him and you speak to him. And you obviously, as a wife, you try to respect his wishes if it is reasonable. I mean, if it is not something too much to us. Let's say you've been out uh, for the week, uh, week nights in the evenings, for example. You've already been out uh, four, 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 four nights out of the week. So he says to you over the weekend, now we, I would like you to spend some time at home. I don't think that is unreasonable. Hmm. Right? That would probably be reasonable for him to ask from you. So try to respect his wishes and try to inquire from him respectfully what it is that he is giving this answer for. Is it because he feels that I'm uh, you know, uh, disregarding him or does he feel that I, I should just be at home? What is the story? And I think once uh, that kind of uh, conversation gets going, then lots of these things can be ironed out in a, a good way where there can be some understanding as to what the expectations are of both spouses. But these things often what I find is it sometimes goes to other people, but your own partner don't, don't really know how you feel about it. Or you've never inquired ever. Why is it that he just says whatever? You know, or you just laugh it off, or you just think, ah, oh, it's just a joke. It doesn't really mean it. Hmm. Where maybe he may, he may, there may be something there. there may maybe be. he's whatever is yes, or maybe he's whatever yeah, is no. Yeah, we never know. We never know. We the know language is, also yeah. today, you know, it's used by by youngsters and younger younger generation. Yeah. So those things are all possible, but all that can only be ascertained once you 
have a conversation with him and that is what we advise you to do inshallah shukran may they find the platform to have that open conversation i mean inshallah salam i'm a working lady and get home just before maghrib i want to make my asr till what time can i perform my asr before maghrib you are allowed to perform your asr salah right up until the adhan of maghrib goes off so after the sunset as well uh, right up until the adhan of course okay. the adhan is supposed to go off at the time of sunset yes okay so any time before that as long as you get one full raka'ah before the adhan of maghrib goes off okay what we mean by that is let's say you, you come late and you start your asr hmm. and while you are making your asr and you didn't even complete a raka'ah there the adhan of maghrib goes hmm. then that means that salah is not valid okay. you will have to repeat it after after maghrib or you have to repeat the whole salah again okay, okay. but let's say you you come out of work you take all do quickly and you say allahu akbar and let's say it's five minutes before the adhan so you actually make you manage to make one or two or three rakas, hmm. and while you are making those rakas, there the adhan goes off. What hmm. should you do? You should continue the salah, okay. because the minimal requirement is you must have at least one full rakah within the waqt before the adhan goes off. And the rakah being at ruku? No, no, that is a good point. Yeah. The rakah here would not be at the ruku, but the rakah would be a full rakah consisting of a standing position, uh, going into ruku, oh, or coming sitting. up from ruku, as well as the two sujuds. So in other words, you must have at least complete the second sujud as well, mm-hmm. and you, you must have come up from the second sujud to qualify uh, for that particular rakah. So if a person does that, then inshallah that salah will be acceptable and it will be considered to be on time if it was done like that. However, if not even one rakah is done before the adhan of maghrib, then it will be considered out of its time, in which case it must be done over in the form of qada. And there's hadith on this with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam clearly stated, a hadith that is narrated to us by Abu Hurairah, and it is in the books of Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَنْ أَدْرَكَ مِنَ الصُّبْحِ رَكَعَةً قَبْلَ أَن تَطْلُعَ الشَّمْسِ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الصُّبْحِ وَمَنْ أَدْرَكَ رَكَعَةً مِنَ الْعَصْرِ قَبْلَ أَن تَغْرُبَ الشَّمْسِ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الْعَصْرِ The Prophet ﷺ very clearly states here that if a person catches one raka'ah before the sun comes up, one raka'ah of fajr before the sun comes up, then he has obtained the entire salah in its time. And if he catches one raka'ah of asr before the sun sets, then he has obtained the entire salah. So the requirement is at least one raka'ah before the adhan goes off for maghrib, then it would be considered adhan. So the window period that you have is you have right up until the adhan goes off. So, so let's say you come at home 10 minutes before the time. You know, Fajr, you say, you know, maghrib, for example, is now at uh, sitting at 5 past 6. So you come at home at 5 to 6. Mm. What should you do? You should go straight to the bathroom, take hudu and make salah. Mm. Even if it is a short period like that and you can at least get one rak'ah, then that is considered to be on time, inshallah. And that is what you should do. You should not delay it uh, until after maghrib. Shukran, Sheikh. Let's continue with your questions after the short break on 47913. Stay with us. The Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. 
Assalamu alaikum. A very good evening to you. This is Questions and Answers. We say Jazakallah Khair once again for you for being patient during the time of reading your questions. I, just to give you a, a, a short brief on what it is of how backlogged we are, that it was in the one program that we did, we received about 60 um, questions within that one program. And we have so far done two shows with that and still continuing with, with the shows with that. So still dealing with that one shows of questions. So shukr to you for, for being patient. Sheikh, let's continue with the questions we have uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was with us, a resident imam of Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. Salam, if I stop my cousin from doing wrong, knowing that what he is doing is wrong, and he does not want to listen, what mark ik dan that is poasa sheikh? Hy wil nie eerst te rauwig to gaan nie dat is die maand waar jy kan tauba maak, ek gee hoop op. Gee antwoord kanala of raad. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the very difficult situation where you see somebody is uh, uh, off track or somebody is doing wrong or not on the straight path and you try your best to kind of encourage but it's just not working and it may just be at that point where you feel uh, despondent right uh, what i want to say is uh, what we need to realize in these situations is that hidayah and guidance comes only from allah mm. we cannot guide people okay it's not up to us to guide people it's up to us to tell people what right is and what wrong is to show people the path okay so once you have that in your mindset you will never become despondent because you know ultimately it's not you mm-hmm. right you don't have the power to do anything so what you should be doing here is don't first of all don't give up hope because you, you say yeah, here up don't mm-hmm. give up hope when you up because you never know Allah Ta'ala can place that hidayah at any given time without you knowing right uh, so don't give up hope and remember the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi He faced very similar circumstances, and just one example: the Nabi Aisha's uncle Abu Talib, who was the one that protected him, he defended him against the cruelty of Quraysh and stuff like that. But yet he did not embrace Islam, right? And towards the end, when he was on his deathbed, the Prophet still sallallahu alaihi wasallam tried to convince him, you know, just say your kalima to shahada. Just say, La ilaha illallah, you will be saved, you know. But because of the influence of the other tribal leaders that were there uh, around his bedside as well, they obviously had a stronger influence over him, and he eventually did not end up saying the kalima, and he actually died as a non-believer. And the Prophet ﷺ was very sad because of this, because he really wanted his uncle to believe, because his uncle was a good person. His uncle was somebody that helped him, that defended him, like I said. You would never allow Quraysh to do anything bad towards him, and stuff like that. And Allah Ta'ala then revealed a verse where Allah Ta'ala says, Beautiful verse. Allah says, You can never give guidance even to those people that you love. Meaning it's not up to you to give guidance. You can only show them the path. But it is Allah who guides who He wants. If we look at the story of Nabi Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam, how it is that Allah tells us in the Quran that He actually called people towards the oneness of Allah and towards living a righteous life, he called people for 950 years. I mean, can you imagine? 950 years. And in the one verse, Allah says, Layla Naharan, you know, in the, day, in the daytime and in the nighttime. He used to spend calling people to Allah, putting in every effort, leaving no stone unturned. But yet Allah Ta'ala says, after all that effort, Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا آمَنَ مَعَهُ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ Only a handful of people believed in him. Right? According to some scholars of tafsir, and I found this very amazing, uh, according to some scholars of tafsir, there was only 80 people that believed in him. 
after making da'wah for 950 sure. years. Only 80. And we know his own son were amongst the, those who did not believe. His own son was drowned and his own son was destroyed. The point is he was a prophet and he kept on going. He kept mm. on asking Allah. He kept on making dua. So what you should be giving is don't give up hope. Make dua for your cousin sincerely from the bottom of your heart. Give advice as much as you can, but in a, in a way that you encourage more than anything else. Mm. Very often it's because we are perhaps... Uh, Negative. We are negative from the start already. You know, how can you be like this? Can't you see? You know, the way we speak sometimes is also maybe off-putting for the person. Yeah. And I very often say that people will more be able to be guided quicker when they see Islam in us, not mm. what we speak necessarily. People see the beauty of how you live, your beautiful akhlaq that you have. If if that cousin of yours see that you are forever somebody that cares for others, you forever give to the poor, you ever go out and you make it a point to see to the happiness of others. Surely this will touch him at one point or the other. It will make him think. So do not tire out. Try your best to carry on with the good that you are making. And you, it's true what you say. The, the month of Ramadan supposedly was the month mm. in which you make tawbah. Okay? But remember, that, that does not mean that you cannot make tawbah any other time. The Prophet ﷺ says, uh, Allah Ta'ala will accept the tawbah of his servant as long as his soul did not yet leave his body meaning until he dies he's got a window period for him uh, opening for him to make tawbah to Allah so it's up to you just to encourage him all the time with your beautiful words and your beautiful akhlaq and character and make loads of dua for him especially in the mornings early before fajr mubarak time make loads of dua for your cousin that Allah ta'ala should guide him and all those who are misguided Allah should bring them on the straight path inshallah Inshallah, amen. Shukran, Sheikh. I think we have um, time for just one last question. Assalamu alaikum. Can a person attend a funeral of your brother-in-law if your sister rejected Islam for that man or for the family um, to cut ties with that sister? Shukran. Of course, uh, it would probably not be a very good idea to attend the funeral here because especially uh, if, you, if, you, if your sister married this person, reject, rejecting Islam, etc., that would pay, perhaps send a, a message of condoning what they had done and condoning the fact that she had become murtad. And we know we try to uh, bring them back to Islam in the best way that we can. Sometimes it me, if it means to excommunicate them or to uh, not associate with them, then, then so be it. That, that sometimes is the best medicine or the best remedy mm. to actually make them realize the seriousness of what they've done. If it is that we must interact with them in order to get them back, then that is what we should do. Interact with them, give da'wah to them, speak to them, again, show them the beauty of Islam, etc. But we must do whatever we can to bring them back. I don't think uh, going to the funeral and making as if nothing has happened will send the correct message. I believe it will give uh, some sort of condoning what they had done or what she had done rather. And this is something which we must never do because we are, we are not allowed to take things like this for granted. Our Islam is very dear to us. Uh, our deen and the kalimat shahada is very dear to us. So we must cling on to that and we must in the best possible manner try to call others towards that as well, inshallah ta'ala. Shukran, Sheikh. I think that's a wrap for this week, inshallah, on questions and answers. Uh, Sheikh must have a, a safe travel back home, inshallah, and we'll see you, Sheikh, same time next week, Saturday, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan uh, and everything of the best for you and to our listeners for the following week. May Allah Ta'ala 
be with you and shower all of you with his mercy inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh that was uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was answering your questions on 47913 join us again next week between 6 and 7 uh, we know that maghrib is in that time so it does cut our program kind of short but inshallah we'll do the best that we can um, with your questions that you sent through thanks again and shukran again for your patience from myself Khawa Salman wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good evening